This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. Well, the genesis of the Medicare set-aside review process dates all the way back to 1980, when the Medicare Secondary Payer Act was first enacted. So let's fast forward now to 2014. And the insurance industry, well, they're still waiting for promised improvements. And today on Ringler Radio, we're going to take a look at the CMS Medicare set-aside review process, the approval process, and kind of discuss its relevance in today's environment. And to join me today to do all that is Tom Blackwell, Vice President and Program Director of Ringler Medicare Solutions, Inc., also known as RMS. And you can find out much more about Ringler Medicare Solutions at RinglerMedicareSolutions.com. So, Tom, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Larry. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Tom, uh, take our listeners back to the beginning. Take us to uh, the start of all this. Give us a short history of the Medicare set-aside review process. Well, back in, I guess it was in July of 2001 that we first got guidance with regards to workers' compensation Medicare set-asides. That was the Patel memo. Mm -hmm. kind of outlined what Medicare's ideas or recommendations for adequate consideration of Medicare's future interest would be. The first MSAs, actually, the real MSAs as we know them today, started getting reviewed by CMS beginning January 1st of 2002. Uh, almost immediately, it was we realized, or the industry realized, that there were problems with the with the with the review process. Uh, they, there, the turnaround times were 18, 20 months at a time. Uh, so. Around, I guess, 2004, Medicare started using the WCRC, which is the Work Top Review Contractor, to uh, start uh, reviewing some of the overflow. Eventually, they began they began using the WCRC as the as the main review process processor, and uh, then uh, at first we had some we had some decent improvement in terms of turnaround times. But then again, as of the, the, the idea of complying with the Medicare Secondary Payer Act became more commonplace and folks started doing more and more MSAs, we, we ended up back into a situation where we had, you know, overlong turnaround times in terms of the, the review process, strange and subjective questions with regards to medical records and arbitrary additions in terms of pricing. Mm -hmm. um, this went on until basically it's still going on today. Um, you know, we've, we've had some changes in what the Medicare set aside covers in terms of prescription drugs. You know, those were, those were, we started adding a prescription drug component and, and started to see the review of that prescription drug component in earnest in 2006. 
2009, we started seeing um, mandatory uh, Medicare uh, insurance reporting or MMSEA reporting. Um, all of those things have just kind of added to the, the confusion with regards to CMS submissions. Mm-hmm. Is it necessary? Is it required? Right. And you know, uh, you know, Tom. For most of our audience who are familiar with this with this subject matter, uh, there is there are still some out there who aren't. And tell tell our audience a, a real basic uh, answer, a basic question, which is, why does Medicare review these allocations in the first place? What what are they concerned about? The reason Medicare is is even interested in a, a bodily injury settlement, need be a work comp or liability, or no fault auto is to ensure that the settlement is funded adequately enough to provide for reasonable future care related to the injury so that the federal government doesn't have to pay for it. Right. And so so the fact that you have uh, these companies like uh, Ringler Medicare Solutions, those kinds of companies providing these allocations, there still needs to be a review process by CMS and Medicare to assure that those allocations are appropriate. In, in some instances, yeah, I, I think it, I think there is benefit to to submission of uh, of a, a work comp Medicare set aside to to CMS for review and approval. Um, you know, Larry, when I look at, when I look at a Medicare set aside, really what this is is it's it's an exercise to assist the interested parties to a to a, an, a bodily injury claim to help them determine. Is there enough money for future medical? Um, does Medicare have a better understanding of of what future needs that that claimant is going to need? Maybe, maybe not. But mm-hmm. um, you know, in liability, certainly not. In in workers' compensation, there's there's benefit to to bringing Medicare into the review process. In that, you get a you get a free ticket. You get a, get a, a get out of jail free card if you if you get an approval from Medicare on a work comp claim. Um, same thing happens in liability. It just they use work comp rationales, and you know it's the difference between a compromise settlement and a um, and a commutation of, of lifetime benefits. That that's that's really what we're looking at when we're looking at CMS submissions. And, and where the benefit lies in terms of work comp and liability. Comp, you benefit from it because you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Liability, there's a, there's percentages of liability. There's, you know, the percentage of compromise that we're talking about. Yeah, is, you know, all these other things. It's a gray area, a lot more gray in the liability yeah. side for sure. Well, what are some of the issues that uh, the insurance industry has been concerned about with this whole process uh, of trying to get approvals and, and all of that? Yeah, it's it's a laundry list. It's long, but I'd say the main the main concerns have always been the the length of turnaround times, the subjectiveness of the review process, uh, arbitrary increases in treatment or additional treatment mm-hmm. being added to MSAs has been a giant concern, and inconsistent pricing and the uh, it, it specifically inconsistent pricing in the uh, prescription mm-hmm. drug component as well as some of the as as well as in some of the higher higher dollar operations or procedures uh, and the fact that there is absolutely no formal appeal process 
if you don't agree with Medicare's determination, you're kind of stuck with it. Well, you know, one of the big problems, and you you hit, you hit on it, is this long turnaround time to get approval. I mean, a lot of cases sit in limbo waiting for that approval to, to take place. How much time does it typically take for the, the review and approval uh, with Medicare, with CMS? And uh, is the process getting any faster? Is it improving? Um, right now, we're looking at about a 45 to 100-day turnaround time from, mm-hmm. from, from the day they receive it. And if that, that's if you're using the portal or using the mail. Um, there has been some improvements in terms of the uh, turnaround times. The, the most interesting thing that, that just happened yesterday was the, um, the WCRC through CMS just cleared out their backlog with a streamlined review process, similar to the one they did in 2012. Maybe they and, heard we uh, were having this show and they wanted to make sure they were up to speed, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they knew yeah, we were going right. to be talking about them, so I'm sure, I'm sure that's the, the impetus. <laughs> uh, but but uh, actually, what, what I think actually happened here was uh, the WCRC had misinterpreted the, the WCMSA guide which is the book that Medicare put out. It's a manual that Medicare put out and says, this is what you need to have a Medicare set aside uh, to develop one. These are the records that are going to be needed. This is what CMS approval should look like. This is how the process should work. And there was some misinterpretation or a different interpretation, if you will, of the medical records, which is a big one, that uh, what medical records CMS would have a right to look at to make a determination. The WCRC, being a third-party contractor, interpreted it that to mean that they could have any records that a Medicare beneficiary had. But it was the responsibility of the primary payer and the plaintiff to provide those records to the, um, to the WCRC. Well, if you're a work cop carrier, or God forbid, a liability carrier, and you're you're having your MSA reviewed for, you know, adequacy and sufficiency, and you get a, a development letter, which is in essence a, a, a request for additional information from the WCRC saying we want all unrelated medical mm. records for this claimant. First of all, we don't have a HIPAA exemption to uh, get that information as a work cop carrier. You have a HIPAA exemption specifically to the records related to the uh, the, the bodily injury or the accident. So there are pro- in big privacy concerns yeah. there, yeah. No, well, you, yeah, you can't get the records mm-hmm. um, unless unless the plaintiff is going to give them to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and in, in a lot of instances, those records are, you know, they're, like you said, private, right. personal. Privilege, uh, yeah. You know, privilege. Nobody wants to, to disclose that. Um, you know, if you have cancer and you don't want your, 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 your employer to know that, or you had cancer five years ago or whatever the reason, you know, whatever your reasoning is, um, you know, you shouldn't have to supply those records. So especially if they're totally unrelated to the auto accident, accident. could have been about cancer and they want to know what the treatment was. Um, they actually stopped reviewing hundreds and hundreds of Medicare set-asides. Um, some of these, some of the larger vendors uh, had 
over 800 cases, you know, four or 500 specifically with that question in mind, where they just, they just could not get the review completed, period. So um, they just, those settlements just languished, and some of them for a year or more. Um, through the efforts of uh, Newquest, uh, Newquest Bridgepoint, um, they, they were real proactive about that specific subject, and they got um, CMS to look at the, the, the WCMSA guide and to basically say, we're wrong. We didn't, we're not doing this right, and uh, we're going to change the WCMSA guide. They're going to amend it, and they're going to retrain the WCRC to uh, understand Medicare's interpretation of what medical records they, they actually need. Um, and then, lo and behold, about four and a half, five weeks later, after that conversation, um, we have this giant dump of approved Medicare set-asides, many of which were uh, basically closed as a result of that, that the, the question for unrelated medical records. You know, it's interesting. So you, you have all these uh, approval processes going on, and, and then they, they do get approved, and s- settlements occur, and things get wrapped up. But is anyone paying any attention to, to all that information that, that develops out of all that? Is, uh, is there anything learned from the process, you know, after the fact? Well, maybe. We know that the, the uh, Health and Human Services, uh, Medicare, is gathering huge amounts of information and data related to claims and total payment obligations to claimants through MMSEA reporting. Um, what they're doing with that data is still kind of suspect. We don't know what they're doing with that data. Um, we don't know who or, or, or if Medicare in any way, shape, or form is monitoring the, the expenditures or the, the distributions being made from Medicare set-aside funds once the, the settlement has been executed? Or is this just a, a situation where when the, the claimant runs out of money, do they just show up at Medicare's door right. and hopefully they have a box full of receipts to prove that they've, 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 they've administered their account correctly? Um, th- I think of anything in, in Medicare set aside uh, in the world or the market or the arena, um, one of the biggest questions right now is the, the value of professional administration, uh, assisted professional administration or professional assistance in terms of administering a Medicare set aside for uh, injured party. Well, let's talk. Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a second. Uh, because as with most controversial issues like this, it's always about the money and what happens to the money, uh, especially the money that's been set aside. I think what you're raising is an important point because what are the uh, exposures that are potentially there after the settlement uh, when a lot of these are self-administered uh, MSAs, aren't they? And self-administration is is kind of, in my opinion, it's the big joke about Medicare uh, compliance in terms of future medicals. We, we, as an industry, the insurance, the, the insurance companies, the plaintiffs, the applicants, all the interested parties go through this tremendous process of hoop, jumping through hoops. And finally, at the very end, we, we, we get through the ring of fire and we have our number. We know what our Medicare set aside number is going to be. 
and then we give that that money to the the player for the applicant. And and I I don't mean to sound like you know that's like they can't handle it, but I know from my own personal experience that I could not I could not do an adequate job personally do an adequate job of administering a Medicare set aside fund uh, in workers' compensation. Period. I don't know what work comp fee schedule is. I don't know what the what the allowable medical uh, Medicare um, determinations are in terms of coverage. Um, those are those are very very detailed and specific. Yeah, and there's accounting at the end of the year. I mean, a lot of accounting issues. Right. Uh, I think a lot of those a lot of those self administered funds. Uh, I mean, you 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 refer to it somewhat as a joke. I think I think they are a problem. They're yeah. problematic uh, out there in the in the industry. So let's let's take a quick break right now, come back and talk a little bit more about some of the some of the areas, some of the things, the tools that can help keep track of things. And maybe one of those might even be structured settlements. We'll be right back with uh, Tom in about one minute. Thanks. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and today I'm joined by my Ringler colleague, Tom Blackwell, Vice President and Program Director of Ringler Medicare Solutions, RMS. Uh, Tom, we talked about the administration of these set-asides and how a lot of the self-administered set-asides are uh, a little bit suspect in terms of uh, the quality of how they're, they're handled, uh, the efficiency, and even the accounting issues. Uh, a lot of times they're above and beyond what the average individual can, can really deal with, and it's, it's somewhat burdensome. So what can we do? What is out there to help protect not only Medicare from having the money spent in a, in a, in a inappropriate way, but in trying to help the individuals manage through that process. What, what, what can we do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Larry, I think you hit on a, a very good point earlier when we talked about the costs associated with um, administering Medicare set-aside funds post-settlement. Um, there is definitely a cost associated with using a professional to, to come in and assist that individual with making determinations on what's Medicare covered, 
what the work comp fee schedule is currently, and is treatment that they're getting from their provider actually related to their their work comp or their their bodily injury claim. Um, now those costs are substantial. Professional administration is horribly expensive um, and has been for years. We, we are starting to see that number come down, but um, still, there is no requirement, obligation by the primary payer to provide that that level of administration to an individual. And frankly, unless it's a catastrophic claim or there's a cognitive disability um, involved in the claim, most applicants are not ever going to allow, are not going to allow that, um, that money to go into the hands of, a, of somebody else. So, you know, professional administration and, and assistant administration are, are all good. And I, I think the industry, all of us pay lip service to it. But uh, when it comes right down to it, I think it's a hard sell, frankly. Um, but there are other things we can do. Uh, one of the things that is has absolutely no cost to the, to the file, actually saves money in terms of funding, is we can use a structured settlement. Um, by parceling out those funds, on an annual basis, and you know, Larry, you know better than I do. You can make those 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 annuities pay out in any amount, uh, you know, lump sums, years in advance, or or whatever. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is what the what the structured settlement brings to the table in terms of post settlement administration is the ability to ensure a lifetime stream of revenue specifically need, used for. Uh, treatment related to the compensable injury. Well, there's no question about that. Structured settlements really have, uh, you know, twofold benefit. You know, one is they can help save money on the on the on the front side by funding the Medicare set aside with a smaller uh, lump sum amount to fund the annuity than they would if they did cash. That's a helpful thing for uh, the claimant. But what really helps the process is is as an aid to Medicare and CMS is that the structure comes out in pieces. It, it isn't there and available for dissipation by, by the claimant to, to maybe spend it incorrectly, too soon, too wrong. Uh, so it's, right. it's kind of a, a belt and suspenders for, for Medicare to know that not only has, been, has there been an allocation and an evaluation of what's required, but by putting it into an annuity, it's a protective device going forward. I think that's the, the key. And of course, it's at no cost, to, no cost to anybody. So it's, it's a plus. Absolutely. And then you know, another benefit is the potential extension of the life of the Medicare set aside fund based on, on right. the funding through, through a structure. Um, I'm, I'm sure most of our sophisticated listeners know that if you have a structured settlement paying out periodic payments, during that period, if the if the funds are exhausted, that's called a temporary exhaustion. And once temporary exhaustion occurs, the the applicant or the administrator of the fund just notifies Medicare, and then Medicare becomes primary for the remainder of that period until the next periodic payment is made. So, if you were getting a thousand dollars a year, and you spent two thousand dollars a year over your life expectancy, you in essence doubled the coverage that that Medicare set-aside was providing. Interesting. So, Tom, you're, 
you've got some opinions, I know, on the liability uh, Medicare set-aside approach, how, how claim professionals and others ought to be dealing with that. I know there are several choices out there because it's not so co- codified as, as it is more in the workers' comp arena. Tell us what you think uh, the, the options are with the liability set-asides. Absolutely. Um, Larry, you're right. I mean, um, there are, you know, liability is, is, is definitely a gray area when it comes to the consideration of future medical. And we are, we are actually, I think, in a, in a golden age right now. And this is the golden hour, if you will, uh, to consider Medicare's interest in a, in a way that allows the parties to show that consideration, but still do it within the parameters of the uh, agreed, the agreement or the settlement. Um, in the very short period of time, I, I really believe that we are going to receive mandated, meaning required by law, um, definitions of, of consideration for Medic, uh, future medical in um, in liability claims. Uh, I'm thinking probably sometime in the next 12 to, to 16 months. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, you know, in my mind, there 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 are three there are three methods to con- consider Medicare's interest in a liability claim. And the first method is to 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 look at the medicals, make a determination as to what what the need is. Um, in terms of uh, treatment, and if we find that the, the the individual, for whatever reason, is not going to continue treating, or there's no reasonable need to continue to treat, like the 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 the, the, the injury has resolved itself, and there is no underlying conditions that are going to go on for a long period of time, um, we can get a we can get an affidavit from the doctor. Or we can do what is called a, a zero allocation, and um, Say that zero dollars of this settlement, be it fifty thousand dollars, be it five million dollars, is put aside for future medical based on the fact that this individual has resolved okay. their condition. Okay. Um, you know, um, what we the the second methodology is to look at um, developing a future medical cost projection or a medical cost projection, which doesn't necessarily take into account or uh, make a determination or a separation between Medicare-covered and non-Medicare-covered expenses. Uh, in essence, this would look at everything, and if the settlement is, is, is being funded generously enough, if it's a, a catastrophic enough claim, and if, it's, if, if there's enough money in the pot, uh, you could use this methodology to say this is the you know, this is going to need 24-hour attendant care, which is not necessarily covered by Medicare, depending on who's providing that care, um, but can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, and this is the amount of money that we've taken out of this this settlement fund to earmark for future medicals and Medicare-covered expenses. Um, and it would be better if it was structured, obviously. It would, it would be more protective. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Structuring, you know, when we – and I was going to get to that point, but I'm glad you said it. Um, whenever uh, the parties are considering putting together a future medical fund of any kind, the, 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 the most the, – the best funding method – for setting up that 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 account is to structure it. Um, bottom line is, you know, on average, 
Medicare set-asides need 37% less cash to fund when they're being structured. Sure. So that's, you know, that's, if it's a hundred thousand dollars, you're getting $37,000 extra to do with, to make that settlement more attractive, to, you know, put it in the pocket of the insurance carrier to, uh, you know, whoever, but mm-hmm. there's $30,000 that we have to decide what to do with now. And that's the kind of problem that we all want to have. Um, then on top of that, you know, that in, in a lot of instances, you have situations where, you know, families have needs, you have cousins, you have relatives and there are emergencies and there, there are situations that come up that, that weren't foreseen and if you have a, a large sum of money sitting in an account with absolutely no, for lack of a better term, protection, and you have access to it, if you need that money, you're going to take it. And then you don't have money for future medicals. And then what happens? Right. You end question. up, it, yeah, you know, you end up without, without proper treatment and, you know, you die. Um, and now getting back to the third Third um, method of, of, of adequate consideration of future medicals uh, on liability is a Medicare set aside. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot more to developing a Medicare set aside on the liability side than there is in the work comp side. Um, you know, we have to look at pricing differentials. We have to look at the lines of insurance. We have to look at all the way down to the zip code of where that individual lives to determine that we have the correct coverage that we have the right pricing and and then once we've done that then we have to look at are there opportunities there to uh use the percentage of compromise that the settlement represents as a as a methodology to to calculate a lower funding amount and then you want to structure that because again if medicare comes back and says hey this wasn't adequate they are going to have a really hard time, you know, proving that purposeful attempt to shift the burden to them. If we've gone through all these steps, we developed the report, we funded it correctly, and then we protected it with a structure and, you know, so on and so forth. You got the the settlement language in there. Um, One last word on settlement language. Every should have some mention in it of the Medicare Secondary Payer Act, regardless of whether or not that person is a Medicare beneficiary, um, there should be a paragraph that says, we have determined that this individual is not a Medicare beneficiary, is not eligible for Medicare, whatever the terminology is, just the other way. Having Um, considered Medicare's interest, you're considering Medicare's interest, and then you're you're dealing with it in some fashion. Right, and you know, the bottom line is we're, we're, you know, 14 years into this now mm-hmm. and we're still, and I still see settlements that have no language, none. Um, and you know, that is the first method of protecting yourself. If you don't have the correct language, it's open season on your, on your settlement. Well, let's, let's kind of end the discussion uh, with something that'll help our audience determine how they can help with that. And, and that is what, what it was, what does RMS do? How, how do you help people claim handlers deal with some of the issues like you just mentioned, whether it's language in the documents, whether it's uh, the allocation or uh, recommendations on uh, potentially structuring something. What does RMS do to help the process? Bottom line is we, we simplify compliance. That's, that's our job. We simplify everything. They give us a phone call. We take the medical records. 
we take a look at, at what's going on. We talk to the, uh, the, the interested parties, and we help them determine what is adequate consideration based on corporate you know, corporate appetites for risk and, and, and handling protocols. But we give them a clear direction of what they should do to best protect themselves within the parameters of the settlement. Um, they, that's it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of times I say, no, you don't need to do anything. Well, that's a big help. That's a big help to people to, to get a determination whether they should or shouldn't do it. And, and of course, uh, without getting into the detail, I know that it's, it's a cost-effective approach to, to the, to the uh, claim person to be using uh, someone like RMS to help out yeah. w- through the morass of all those details and all those rules and regs. It comes down to, it comes down to experience. And, and I've seen probably the number of cases I've seen in my short career um, would probably outstrip somebody who's been in the industry 50 years. Right. And that's the same for other vendors because that's all we look at is this particular item. And if you're, if you're trying to handle this, without that, that, you know, that, that perspective, you know, you, sometimes you're going to miss something. No and, it, and we know one thing, Tom, if you miss something in this arena, it can be costly to the enterprise you're working for. It can, it can absolutely. hurt the, the individual claimant who's got the, the injuries and the future medical t- 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 expenses to, to be concerned about. Uh, the plaintiff yeah. attorney can be concerned. Everybody's got a stake in this to, to have it done right. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no do-overs. No, there's, there's well, there's no do-overs. <laughs> I, I know one thing, you know, the only do-over I ever had was uh, sometimes when people get married, they can do it again, but that's, uh, that's unusual. <laughs> well, listen, with that, uh, with that, uh, Tom, I think we should wrap up. Uh, I do want to say thank you very much for uh, being with us thank today. You. I think it's been educational for our audience. It's, it's, it's an area that constantly needs to get re- Redone. We have to have more and more shows on this as little new uh, the nuances get uh, get uh, provided to us. And as you say, uh, some new rules will probably be coming out about liability at some point. And you know we're going to have to be at this again. So thank you. If exactly. somebody if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Tom, how would they do that? Uh, I can be reached uh, directly at seven two seven four three nine zero nine three nine. That's seven two seven four three nine zero nine three nine. That number is uh, good twenty four seven. And I can be emailed at tblackwell at wranglerassociates.com or uh, you can you can send a, questions to askmsa at wranglerassociates.com and the entire staff of RMS will, will see your question and answer it as quickly as possible. Well, that's, a, that's a terrific service, and I know a lot of people are uh, making use of that because there are, there are always a lot of questions that come up around this area. So uh, yes. with that, I'll, I'll say to our audience, if you want to reach any Ringler Associates, you can do so by going to ringlerassociates.com. The website has a lot of information and uh, a lot of information about the Medicare set-aside uh, issue as well. Uh, and, of course, RMS is a big, big component of that, and uh, they do a great job. And uh, you can also listen to every Ringler radio show, including this one, uh, at ringlerassociates.com ringlerradio.com or legaltalknetwork.com or go to iTunes and you can download directly from iTunes and listen at your leisure. So with that, I want to say, Tom Blackwell, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Larry. Appreciate it. Terrific. And for all of the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Bye-bye.
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. We'll be right back. 